Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so happy you are here today. My guest is Lisa Morton, and she is the CEO of Rollins-Ransfield, which is one of the most established communications agencies based in Manchester, England. She does amazing PR work all throughout the UK and has recently formed a partnership with a PR firm based in LA. So she has clients all over the world. What I like most about Lisa, there's many, many things I like, but what I like most about her is her clarity around being a purpose-driven leader and the power of values and understanding your values, making sure that your employees understand your values and the power that can come when you are living and breathing your values. We talk a lot about this in the show. She also created a podcast called We Built This City, which is all about how Manchester citizens rebuilt the city after it was bombed 26 years ago and the pride that they have in their city and their culture and all the things that they have done to overcome adversity within the community. Lisa is fantastic. You're going to love this interview. So hang tight and I'll be right back with her. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I have Lisa Morton with me. Lisa, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you for inviting me, Carrie. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. All right. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. So um, I have a, a PR company and I have a podcast company. And I set the PR company up 26 years ago. Um, I always knew that I would have my own business. The actual business is named after Roland Dransfield, who is my godfather. And when I was little and in kind of growing up late seventies, um, early eighties, he was a really big kind of, he's a big leader in my eyes because he had gone from rags to riches and he set his own business up and ended up actually meeting my dad. My dad was a mechanic and Roland loved the way my dad looked after his cars. So he gave him a job and they went on to a successful business together. But from being eight, he used to say to me, you'll have your own business. Um, and one day he came on a weekend to my mum's house, my mum and dad's house, and he had a bucket and a sponge. And he said to me, okay, you've got your own business. You've got a car washing round. So go and clean the neighbor's cars. And if you can afford to pay me back, for the bucket and the sponge at the end of the day, you're in profit. If you can't, you have to go again until you can afford to pay me back. So I did pay back that day. And then I had a car washing around till I was 15. And when I fell in love with shoes, I went to work in a shoe shop. So for me, he taught me so much about being a leader um, and having to make decisions and kind of you know negotiating stuff with people that I wanted to take his values forward into my business, which is why I named it after him. And so, yeah, 26 years ago, it was around the time of a huge bomb in Manchester City Centre, which was a terrorist bomb, which blew the heart of the city up, actually. Fortunately, nobody was injured. Minor injuries, no one was killed because there was a, there was a warning. But what that did do is it escalated a huge amount of work that needed to be done in the city. And it was at that point that I really kind of got my grips into being a leader within our community at the age of kind of 27, 28. That's amazing. So how, so tell us a little bit about that. So how did this transform your leadership, getting involved with the rebuilding of the city mm -hmm. center after the bombing? Well, 
I suppose that I'd, I'd had a couple of jobs in um, PR agencies before that. And the, the one before I set Roland Dransfield up, I had been um, at a very young age, the managing director of a, of a, an, a PR co- team within a big agency. But I think I always, and we always have this, don't we? We still get it today, 25 years on, imposter syndrome. So I always used to think when I was in that previous agency, how have I got here? Um, But then when you actually have to go out and do that on your own and face those fears, but also at that time, even though I was young and things were very different then in terms of a woman in business and a young person in business, I think because I was able to add value very quickly, all those things seem to be irrelevant. And people from the private sector and the public sector who all needed to come together to improve, you know, the infrastructure of a city that had just been decimated, that seemed to be put to one side. And it was as long as you added value, you had a place at the table. And it was very, very important. I think, I mean, there's been several times in my business journey where it's those times, as you'll know, of crisis or adversity or where you have to work together and and put more in than you take out. That's when you add value and that's when your worth becomes apparent, I think, to people around you. So I feel that we've had some really quite large pieces of adversity in our history in 25 years as a city and wider. It's at those points where you really make those connections and those relationships work. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, I know imposter syndrome really well. I was named CEO when I was 30. And the whole time I was like, I cannot believe that I have this job. This is, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And and just putting that one foot in front of the other. And I love how you say that, right? You know, you can add value in so many ways, no matter if you're young or you're old, you're female, you're male, you know, it takes all of us coming together and and truly being authentic in that value that we add. So back then, early in your career, right, you're faced with this crisis, you have imposter syndrome. What is it? Like, what was that value that you brought to the table? Like, what anchored you to, like, I deserve a seat at this table and I know I can help rebuild my city and the community around it? I think it was always important to me to have integrity. And, you know, that again, the, the piece that Roland taught me at eight years old, you know, he's like, you, you can't just lounge around in bed on a Sunday morning anymore. You've got to show up. You know, once you have a car washing round, you can't agree with a neighbor that you're doing their car on Sunday and they'll not be there. So for me, I just think from an early age, it was always important to me to, to do what I said I, I would do and try and not make promises I couldn't keep. So I felt that at that time, it was really crucial that the people around the table were those who were showing up. And even as you said, if even if it's a small contribution, just making sure that contribution was made on time, the way you said you do that. For me, as a, as a young, you know, brand new and my business, I couldn't make the same impact maybe as somebody who'd had a business for 25 years, who is massively connected or had really deep pockets or was politically very well connected. But, you know, I could help, we could help communicate the improvements that were being made. We could help the community understand that the partnerships were going to deliver on the promises they'd made. So we just used the skills that we had at the time. So I think it was just by saying to myself, I, you know, I don't have to do everything. I can just do what I can do. And, and and stick by my word. And I think that's what I've tried to do the whole of my career. Obviously, I can probably do more now because I've got a wider network than I could then, but still just try and, and do what I, said I'll, I say I'll do. 
I mean, it's such an important aspect and, and it's amazing how many leaders don't do what they say they're going mm -hmm. to do and how that can be such a, just a toxic style to have within an organization, but certainly within a community that's reeling mm -hmm. from, from a tragedy and, and a, a very obviously impactful situation. So I can really appreciate that, how, how much that resonated with you in the moment yeah. and could be a building block for who you become in the future. Definitely. And I think it's with anybody, isn't it? It's like if you, it's about communicating that to your teams is that if there's something that you feel really passionate about, it's actually allowing for that space as well to do that work. Back in the day then, you know, we weren't paid for all the work we did, but we were paid for work that we, that resulted from us having put our back into something just voluntarily. So, you know, it is that what goes around comes around and you, you find that you're drawn to the work and the people that you can align with from a, you know, a, a values point of view as well. I think that's such a really um, interesting what you just said there, that that whole when you when you give back as a, a leader, when you give back as a business, not for monetary compensation, but because it's the right mm -hmm. thing to do, how it really can transform your company, your industry, your community. Certainly at my company, we were in industrial cleaning and it's a very dangerous industry. And so we've poured a ton of our time and effort into creating safety standards and really movements around how do you do this work in a way that every person can go home to their families at night. And I would get a lot of questions like, well, why are, you know, this is really important, but is it really worth spending so much of your time doing? And, you know, the answer to me was always a resounding yes. If there's something that we can do that even just saves one life, that's really an important mission. But now that we're years into this, the the way the the payoff has been tremendous in the in the sense of of now we're seen as thought leaders. We're the go-to company for you know these types of um, building out these types of safety initiatives, and it's been really really impactful um, on us as a business. Did you see that happen with you too? Like what has that work that you did all those years ago? How has that transpired into what you're doing now and where your company is now? That's a great question. I'm really glad to hear that, you know, that, that we, there are organizations in this world that do do that work and it's so important um, and it creates so much loyalty just with your own internal teams, doesn't it? And then with your, with, with, with sure. customers. Mm -hmm. Well, I suppose, you know, Manchester is, a, is an incredible international global city. Um, it's also, and we have lots of clients in the capital in London and elsewhere. And we also now have a partnership with an, uh, an agency in the States. And what is really noticeable when people come to Greater Manchester is how connected everybody is. So if you want to do business in this community, if you let people down, um, you'll be remembered, you know, and if you really support people, you'll be remembered. So I knew, and this is before the internet, my kids can't believe I set a business up without being able to Google stuff. You know, they just can't actually quite get their head around it. But I think because of that, you knew that the relationship building and the integrity piece was so important. You know, and it, it, to most people that doesn't come hard, but I think for me, if I look back over a, a career where I've had um, 26 years and in that business we've gone through, we had the bomb. Um, we then had um, the 2008 crash was horrendous for everybody. The business nearly disappeared. You know, we, we, we've had COVID. And if you have a think about those real moments of despair where a community suffers, you know, it's at that point where you do, as I said before, really, really come together. And if you've any point, people rely on people to, to support. 
if you've any point in your previous iteration not shown up around that integrity and around those values, you, people aren't ever going to want to to cling to you or be part of your network in order to get through those challenges. And and the other thing is also is is leadership within the team because you know although I suppose my name is over the door to some degree. Um, although, you know, deliberately didn't want my name, I wanted Roland's name. We have a, a value which is leaders create leaders. And so, the, you know, you just mentioned then about instilling those really, really kind of important standards in your organization. That gives your team so much confidence and security, but also I think makes them feel that they can be a leader too because they, they trust the process and they trust the the culture that's being created around them. So for me, we've really tried to embed those values with everybody that comes through the organization for a period of time. So they're like you say, they can sleep at night, they can go home and tell their family that they're, they're working with an organization that does what they say they'll do, and that's got integrity. And that's really important for me. I agree. And I think it's important for, for most people. I mean, certainly you look at the great resignation that's you know happened all over the US mm. and the UK uh, with people saying, I don't want to work for companies who don't have integrity, who don't care, who don't have a higher mission, a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that, that I've really learned in my evolution of, of, of being the CEO of this company, I'm going on 13 years now, is that it can never just be about making money. And and those leaders and those companies that that's where the drive comes from, you lose people because mm-hmm. you know, once we have a paycheck that we can take care of our families on, right? We want something that's more than that. And that's where alignment with values and alignment with purpose of an organization is so incredibly important. And because I'm a purpose-driven leader, it's hard for me to imagine companies not being that way, but it is so prevalent where people are like, I don't really know what we stand for, making mm-hmm. money, returning value to shareholders, right? And that's not, I don't know, it doesn't, it's not being, it's not contributing. You don't feel like you're contributing to the greater good mm-hmm. if you don't feel like you have purpose in your work every day. So it's really important for leaders to do that. So how how did you build that over time? I mean, did you go into starting your company knowing what your values were and knowing what your purpose was? I mean, that's a really good question. And the answer is no. I mean, I think I um, I know how I show up and I, and I work hard to make sure that I you know, I, I do good things and that, and I, you know, I have integrity and, you know, we always, we can always make mistakes or we can, you know, we're, we're always learning, aren't we? As we go as leaders and as, as human beings, we learn all the time. Um, and actually one of the values we have in our organization now is admit it, fix it, move on. And that is for me to give people safe space to make mistakes. Um, if we don't make mistakes, we're not moving, we're not learning new things, but to own that mistake. And that goes for me too, like not having the shame around not being perfect and having screwed something up. Because usually, well, as long as the intention wasn't to to do something that wasn't with integrity, then then we we can make those mistakes. So I didn't. But when you're a small organisation, I suppose it's easy for you to make sure that it's pretty much running the way you want it to run in terms of the way the team shows up. But I've realised that there were certain times in my life as a as a business owner and and leader where Possibly I was going through some challenges, so personally, and it was very difficult then sometimes to to not sometimes the business be impacted by possibly what I was going through. So for example, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I'd promoted somebody to look after the team that we had at the time. It was about eight of us, nine of us in the team. 
And literally, as I got into the room after I had my baby, my daughter Nina, um, I was contacted to be told that the person I put into place had just resigned. And she was now trying to rip out the clients and some of the team. And um, I, it was terrifying, you know, it's terrifying. And and then, you know, as a single parent, bringing two children up very quickly after that. So what I realized is the fact that in an organization, if your values aren't clear, other people can interpret things in a different way. And I learned slowly in actual fact, and I was very fortunate because mostly I've had great people working in the business. But around about 2018, we'd grown, we'd grown very quickly, deliberately. I'd taken on some senior people in the team from other, other um, with different skill sets and different um, networks. And that was great for say six to eight months. It, we were flying, it certainly looked brilliant on the outside. But all of a sudden I just thought, I, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. We've got very experienced people, but everyone was coming to with different values or a different outlook, or they wanted to do things a different way. To the point where I thought the wheels are falling off internally within this team. There were behaviors that were creeping in that I really didn't like, things that made me feel very uncomfortable, hierarchical things, uh, values that just did not adhere with the way that I wanted to show up. Um, And so we had a crisis (laughs) in which we were doing a move, a big office move, and the date had, mo- had moved out. So it was later than anticipated, and it was a big, exciting office move for us. I happened to be on holiday. I couldn't change my holiday. And when I landed and turned my phone on, there was all hell was letting loose. So there was fighting, there was bickering. It was awful from the senior team. So I came in the next day and I knew at that point that was aligned for me. We had to work on a values and culture piece that was going to be embedded in the business going forward, which meant then that these behaviours are how we show up and it was easy to, to then smoke people out immediately who weren't going to do that. And it also meant that I didn't have to say anymore, that's not okay with me. That doesn't feel okay to me. I, I wouldn't do things like that. I don't like the way you're doing it. It gave me a boundary which I'd not had until 2018. And it was incredible. So the whole team worked on um, looking at what our values were. We studied loads of different like sports teams, charities, other big organizations. And we came with our, um, our mantra of 15 values. And it just changed the business. It changed my life because I could then say that doesn't align with Roland Dransfield's values. I didn't have to say, look, it's really upsetting me the way you're behaving now. And the business has never been stronger. It got through us through COVID in a way that I don't think we would have done otherwise. But going back to your point about knowing where you work, you must have seen in that period of COVID, because people weren't in the office and they weren't, you know, they didn't have the free pizzas on a Friday and they didn't have beer pong and those things that made them feel united. They forgot who they were working with or for because the the purpose wasn't transparent. It wasn't prevalent. And so how did you get through that? How did you lead your team through that co- through COVID? Yeah. So we, we, we lean, we lean into all the values. So, um, you know, our first value is sweep the sheds, no job too small. And so there was no hierarchy. We all did what needed to be done when it needed to be done. We have leaders create leaders as a value. And what we saw in COVID was because you took away the whole 
traditional structure or construct of a working office where you might have senior people sitting somewhere or people choose the seat they want to sit with their friends. That went out the window. And people were able to show up and do things that they felt possibly intimidated or it was beyond their, you know, not their pay grade to do in an office. So for me, it was just so rewarding to see people find that anyone can be a leader and that leadership's about the small things that you do with the integrity, not the big flashy things. It's the small things every day. And and yeah, it was, it was incredible to see younger people or people who were perhaps not big personalities, they just flourished. We did something similar in 2016 uh, when we became an, well, we've been an employee owned company, but we became what's formally called an ESOP here in the US. Mm -hmm. And and I realized that what it means to think and act like an owner wasn't clear to everyone. And I was doing the same thing going like, well, that person's not being a great teammate. That person isn't thinking and acting like an owner and feeling like it was like a personal thing rather than based on our values. And we had had values all listed, but I realized like they had evolved and, and we really wanted people to think and act like owners. So we came up with our own mindset and we have three three main values and then you know the and 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 very clearly written out like what success looks like within those mm-hmm. and it totally changed the way that we had the conversation it made it so much easier to let people go when they weren't fitting in with the culture and they could understand i'm going to get measured on these things mm-hmm. but i don't i agree with you i do not think that we would have made it through we thrived after covid 2020 was awful but we thrived and it's because people felt that ownership right not only do mm-hmm. i have a purpose the bigger vision of the company, but I know how to live the values of the company and I believe in the values of the company. And I know I'm going to get rewarded when I exhibit the values of the company. And so I feel so sorry. I have a couple, a couple of, uh, of peers in, in my industry who just struggled so much more than we did because they didn't have those clearly divine values yeah. or they did, but people didn't, you know, it didn't resonate. They're like, oh yeah, that's just those things that are on the wall. Exactly. <laughs> No, it's so that is so true, and you know you talk about the great resignation, and you know and, and he's here quiet quitting the people who aren't leaving. They're just hanging around because there's not really any um, focus. They could be anywhere, um, but we, with us, you know, one of our values is plant trees you'll never see, which is about leaving a legacy. I think it's an old Chinese proverb where you should plant a tree that you never sit under the shade of, which is a wonderful philosophy, I think. Um, and so we lost so many clients in COVID. I mean, I remember I had to drive to pick my daughter up from university um, and the phone in the car was just going, like the team was going, you know, this client wants to pause or cancel. And even though they're all in contracts with the, with us, I just thought this is, if we enforce contracts for three or six months and make people pay when everyone is terrified, at PLC level or one-man band level, everyone had no idea, no toolkit. Yeah. I thought... That's not our values. And so in another one is walk a mile in another shoe. So we had to really dig into that. So it was, it was frightening, but um, we we just found that two things. One is integrity. So we still help clients that weren't paying us. And the other thing was plant trees is the fact that we thought there's so much work to be done now. There's so many vulnerable people. There are so many charities who need so much support now. So we pivoted the work that we would have done for fee earning into helping for free um, organizations that needed support. And even though I was coming on the calls every day with the team in lockdown saying, 
yeah, they've cancelled and the fees are down to this. Um, the, the, that's a, that was a fact. We had to get through that. But what we were saying is we've managed to help feed 200 people in, in Greater Manchester today. We've managed to help an organisation open its doors to NHS workers so they can be safe in, in order from the families in terms of the, the pandemic. So everyone was fired up so much around the values that it kept us all knitted together with that, that sense of purpose. And what were the results? Like what happened, right? After, after you know, the lockdown stopped and, and things started to come back, where did that position you as a company? Well, our values were our brand. Um, and we had so many businesses coming to us to say, you, you've walked the talk, you've, 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 your, your kind of your stock has gone up even more. Can you help us do the same thing? So we've had to do a lot of work now with organizations who did have their values on the wall, but weren't speaking them. They weren't part of their narrative and their vernacular. And so how can we bring them to life and walk them? We have got a purpose, but we don't think that purpose is necessarily clear. Can you help us to communicate that? So ret retaining great people, attracting more people with purpose. And we've been asked to get involved with some most incredible legacy projects and, and not just um, not just in Greater Manchester, but UK wide and and, um, and further afield. So it's great because the team feel that, you know, the team know that they have integrity and they know that people are coming to them to help them find their own purpose. So for us, it feels so much more than possibly what we were doing before COVID. You know, as you're telling that story and, and I have a similar experience of living values and always trying to do the right thing and always looking at it as we're in this together. And then you think about the state of our political systems, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you're in the UK are as big as a mess as we are here in the US. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I wish that we could go, that we could get people to like where we are and truly how they feel as part of this community, knowing when we serve others, when we, we say, well, I'm scared too, but that mm. doesn't mean that I have to go into tribalism, us versus them, or I have to only protect myself or I only care about myself, right? Hyper-individualism. Yeah. You come out of things so much more, you, more resilient and stronger, more tightly knitted together. And, you know, we see this in our businesses. We see it in so many aspects of our lives, but we don't see it in politics. We don't mm -hmm. see it in how we are showing up with our, you know, many of us are showing up with our belief systems out there in the broader world. And I don't know, I mean, what are your ideas? If you're working on some of these legacy products, projects, like how do we take what we're doing within our businesses and really be able to spread this from a societal perspective? Yeah, so um, I really feel that, as I say, in a, in a time of crisis, that's when um, if people put their egos to one side and also maybe come out of the scarcity mentality, and you get in those times, you know, doesn't things don't feel abundant, do they? But by putting the egos aside and and just thinking about how can I look after my interests, if you kind of open up and show up in a community in a space and look at how the resources that you have and the time that you have and the experience you have as, a, as an individual or a business can contribute to whatever that community, whatever that community is, what that community needs. Obviously you're making impact, but you're also creating so much more abundance because out of that connection with other organizations and individuals who feel the same way, magic comes, great things happen, new ideas are born, new businesses are born, there's movements are created and we pretty much, I would say, 
all the work that we have done with our clients in our community um, before COVID anyway, but definitely since COVID, they all have kind of a legacy project or, or they all have um, a planting trees aspect to them. And we've connected so many organisations together from really different sectors as well that ordinarily would never have come together, would not have worked together, probably didn't think they had a common interest. And by bringing their skill sets and their reach together, we are creating huge legacies. We're helping young people have in their lives, disadvantaged young people in that have things in their lives that they didn't have before. You know, we're helping to to stop um, hate crime through some work we're doing in the LGBT community with Pride. We're helping to create more opportunities for women in tech and for young women who have not got the university route in technology. And that's been done by literally saying to people, come on. And I think as individuals and as businesses, you know, you get that metaphorical tap on your shoulder, don't you? And you think, yeah, this is my time. You know, what have I got the resources or the ability to do that if I don't do it, probably nobody will. Yeah. Politicians and our leaders possibly aren't coming from that place. And to me, what the message is resounding is that it's up to me, right? Mm. It's up to us as individuals to say, I'm going to overcome that fear. I'm going to think about my mindset and how I'm going to participate. And, you know, I know people don't like it when I say this, but truly our politicians are a reflection of us. And if we want something different, then we have to do something different. And it's not just about electing somebody different. It's about truly saying, I am going to show up in this way, right? I'm tapped on the shoulder to, mm -hmm. to, to be curious, to engage, to to consider other viewpoints, to look at different ways of doing this because what we're doing isn't working. And I think that is the powerful message, right? It might feel overwhelming to people, but we do have the power to like change businesses, communities, to change our politics if we just step, step up to the responsibility and stop living in fear, stop mm -hmm. living in somebody else telling us what to think and say, I want, I want to be part of a community that it's easier said than done, but it is mindset, right? It is it, how we choose to show up. It really is. And I think that um, going back to kind of how you, we know the world needs more leaders and those leaders are, you know, we don't need more leaders like the leaders we're referring to, but we need more leaders who are prepared to do those small things and make those small shifts. Um, and that's, and you know, you, you combine that as a collective, we can do, we can do great things. And I, I went through a shift probably a couple of years ago before COVID and I re no, it wasn't, it was at COVID, in COVID, I think, because I was frightened on those calls. Like I felt tearful some mornings when, uh, you know, I told people, I said, I've not got all the answers. I've not got any of the answers, but I'll just tell you what I know this morning. And it was, I was frightened for people's livelihood. And if the business collapsed, you know, we had cash to keep us going for a period of time beyond that. But that was the shift because the team realized that it was okay not to have all the answers. You can't, you know, you can be a leader. You are a leader. You don't have to have all the answers. And that was a light bulb moment for me because I thought previously sometimes, why is nobody helping me? Why have I got to do everything myself? But yeah. that freedom to understand as a, as a young person in a business, hey, I can be a leader because she's not got all the answers. <laughs> 
so we, you know, it's just that showing up with integrity and asking the questions and being open and the vulnerability of a leader is so important because that's how we get more leaders. Yeah, I agree. I always tell people that CEO is just a couple letters behind my name. Right? We <laughs> yeah. all have a yeah, we all have a role to play, and you know, some roles come with a greater responsibility, and and certainly being the leader of the company does. But it doesn't mean that you know just because you have a different title behind your name that you aren't a leader, and that you that you can't engage, and that you know you just have to stay in your lane. Um, all it is is just some words behind a name, some letters behind a name. Like we're all just human beings trying to play our role to move the company forward or the community forward. And mm. and so, um, you know, I try to lead that way with my team to, you know, to help them embody that mindset of I can make a difference. If I show mm. up, I can make a difference. If I lean into something I'm not comfortable with. I can make a difference. If I have a little bit of vulnerability, I can make a difference. And I think it's a really powerful thing when people start to see like, okay, I can do it in my work. Then what does that mean? How can I do that in my community? And and maybe yeah. that's the ripple effect that we need is, is people feeling confident enough to, to step into that leadership role, even if they don't have a leadership title. Agreed. I think something we do, you, you may do a similar thing is that we have uh, paid volunteering days, or if you want to mentor somebody, or you want to be part of a charity. So we'll we'll give, you know, and, and if people don't want to use theirs, they can give theirs to other team members. So um, it just means that, it, that every single person can find something that they feel strongly and passionate about and help to lead, even if it's, so it helps them to understand how to lead in, in a commercial world, because they can just do something small that we'll support them with. And, and that's great because we have, you know, somebody, we've got someone in the team who's mentoring a young uh, student at school that's in a, uh, you know, in a, in a disadvantaged background. And, and, you know, she comes into work the next day with tons of stories about, and you know, the, often the student is teaching her stuff bizarrely, even though she's like 14 years old. But, you know, that, that gives people a spring in the start. They feel like they're part of an organization that will help them to find what, what makes, what's important to them. And, and I, you know, I love that. That's just creating magic. And it's, you know, it's our responsibility. I do believe um, the businesses that thrive and who keep great people and, and, and attract great people are the ones that don't just focus on what they sell or what they provide or the piece of work that's on their desk in front of them. You know, it's our responsibility to use our resources to create more resources for others. And that's, you know, that's to me is a purpose-driven organization. So let's talk a little bit more about your organization. So, I mean, you it, you built this beautiful company doing big, impactful work. Um, so tell us a little bit more in detail about, about the work you do, the types of clients that you have, and maybe a little bit about the partnership that you have now here in the US. Yeah, so when I started the business uh, 26 years ago, it was a very traditional PR company. So, uh, and there were, far fewer platforms um, in those days than there are now, obviously. As I said, we had no Google. Uh, I think we had a fax if we were lucky. And when I tell the, tell the team some of the stories of like how we used to have to even send a press release out to the media, they, they're literally looking at me like, I've got two heads. So in those days, it, it was always been about relationship building. It's, you know, PR is about relationships and it's, it's helping people to understand a, a purpose or understand an organization. At that time, when I told you about my uh, godfather and my dad, they were in engineering. So when I told my dad I was getting into PR, 
he just didn't understand it. It was there was too nuanced for my dad to understand as an engineer, um, and he called it organised lying, which I was incredibly offended by <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> but when I actually look back to some of my early experiences in PR, there was a lot of that going on. It was like you know, it was people with a black book, and it was a boys' club, and what can we keep out of the media? Whereas, obviously, that's completely done a 360 and now organizations and brands have to be so transparent there's no you, you, there's not much you can hide unless you are a politician as we've, we've referred to before but um so over a period of time then you know we got digital age and so we digitized the business uh it, it came about how can we amplify a brand or a story on lots of different platforms and most recently we launched a podcast in um just before the pandemic and it got massive traction because people were doing long walks and listening to stuff called We Built This City, which is about um, the hearts and minds and purpose of Mancunians and greater Mancunians. It was a real success and we that's going today, but on the back of it, we had so many organizations approaching us to help them to create communities with oral, you know, with audio strategies. So that's really taken off. So we've, we learned a whole new skill set, but we've, uh, built a new team onto that as well. So we've got some amazing producers and um, editors in that business. And then two weeks before lockdown, I'd gone to see Oprah Winfrey in um, LA. Uh, she wasn't expecting anything. We went, we went to, it was a conference we went to and um, it was it was a great conference. And I went with a couple of people and my daughter and I met up with somebody there who had built this incredible agency who had come to Roland Dransville for her first job and had been an account exec for two years, had gone to LA with a boyfriend at the time and then just smashed it over there. And we've always kept in touch. So we decided before lockdown that we'd have a partnership and that we'd start to do some work together. But before then, bizarrely, you know, it was always really important to clients, where, where's your team? Can you get on a train and come and see us? Can we, can we meet up? COVID obviously changed all of that. So that relationship with LA and New York flourished literally overnight. And so we were handling clients in Asia, the States, Europe, the UK together as a combined team and did some really, really exciting work. So, you know, that again, a, a massive challenge became a really good opportunity for us. Um, and that relationship still going strong now. Wow, that's wonderful. It's so amazing when you can create those kinds of partnerships. Um, especially I was actually just talking to a guy in my industry and he's like a quasi competitor, but also a partner. And mm. he said, he's like, yeah, I know this conversation is probably odd to have, you know, where people were like, well, you kind of do the same thing a little bit. And I was like, no, right. I've learned over the years of going the direction of, of, of no, you know, competitors out of like, there's mm -hmm. so much synergy that can be yeah. had when you take teams who have unique and unique skill sets and different markets. And even if there might be a little bit of a crossover, figure out how to put that aside and, and, and build together. And he was like, wow, yeah, like I haven't really thought of it like that. And I was like, I know it's cool. Like, like think about some of the things that we can do, you know, if we yeah. got over like, oh, well, you know, I might lose a, a customer, you know, for this particular service or product if I, if I partner with a competitor. So 
anyway, um, I don't know, maybe you didn't see her firm like that, but, but I do like that you can, you're figuring out how to be able to build upon it and not have to do it all on your own, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's the whole collaboration piece, isn't it? I think, as you say, if you open your mind to how you can align your business with somebody who might, and we, we do this all the time. And certainly since COVID, there are organizations who might be in our category, but have a skill set that can really complement what we do. And, um, you know, it's just more expansive and it's taking away that whole scarcity mentality and worried about somebody might pinch some a slice of your business when in actual fact, you, together you could get so much more. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's not trying to get a bigger piece of the same size pie, right? It's trying yeah. to make a bigger pie. That's yeah. That's the mentality that I have is how do I make the pie bigger? Agreed. And also learning, like in that situation, you're going to learn from a, a potentially somebody who does compete with you to some degree and understand how they've got their success. So, I mean, it is a win-win. It's, it's, it's a great idea. Nope. I agree. I agree. All right. Well, we have to wrap up here. So I have two final questions for okay. you. Um, mm -hmm. so the, name of, the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. Uh, what does Reflect Forward mean to you? Mm. Well, reflect forward means to me is that it's the legacy piece. It's about taking responsibility now for the things that you're doing, the work that you do, um, and how that's going to impact the future. And and what responsibility do we have to plant those trees that we're never going to see? That's that's our job. So I love the name of the podcast. We should always be reflecting on how we can put more in than we take out. That's great. Thank you. All right. If you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be the very best at what they do, what would that advice be? Be vulnerable. Don't 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 think you've got to have all the answers um, and show that you have the same feelings and insecurities and concerns and as as the people that are that are around you because once they get that, they're going to come right on board on your journey. That you, they're going to take the fear out of the whole situation. Isn't it so counterintuitive? I'm <laughs> I I feel the same exact way, and it's like, oh, if I share that I don't know, if I share my darkest flaws, like people are gonna like me, they're not gonna have confidence in me, and the next thing you know, they're like, I love you so much more. <laughs> no, it's a real game changer. I just wish I'd known a lot longer ago. <laughs> right, I hear you. Well, it's always a journey, right? There's that there is no destination on this leadership journey that we're on. It's hopefully we're always just improving and getting better as we mature as leaders. Agreed. I hope so. It's always learning. I agree. Well, Lisa, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. I could talk to you about these uh, these topics all day long, but I know you have to get your evening and I have another meeting. So thank you again for, for sharing your story and for your philosophy on values within a company. Incredibly important um, topic. Thank you so much, Kerry. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Now I've learned a lot too. So thanks so much for that. Thank you. All right. Hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone, I am back. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. I can't wait to hook up with Lisa next time I'm in the UK. She is truly a remarkable leader and um, I know is very inspiring with all the work that she is doing, not only within her company, but within her community. With that, I will leave you for your day. Thank you so much for listening in. I hope you join me next week on an advice from a CEO episode. And if you like this podcast, please, please, please write a review, like it, subscribe to it, subscribe to it on my YouTube channel. It always helps with the algorithms. Thank you so much. Have a great day.